Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Defense, Bharat Shakti Dotin's own podcast. I'm Brigadier Chatterjee, editor of Bharat Shakti Dotin, and we are going to be talking about the situation in Ukraine today. We've had a couple of coverages of Ukraine, both in the print as also on our video interviews. Today we'll take try and take the story forward, and this is the first podcast, in fact, that we're doing as far as Ukraine is concerned. As our guest today, I have General Pr Kumar. General Kumar, well, retired as the Director General Military Operation, has had a very checkered career in the Army and thereafter remains a much sought-after speaker and also, of course, an author. Welcome to Bharat Shakti, General Kumar. Uh, good morning, all listeners. Especially, it's been a great honor and privilege to always interact with Bharat Shakti.in as also Brigadier Chatterjee is always an honor to interact with you. Thank you. I would also like to wish all the listeners Dobra Utre and Dobraho Ramku in Russian and Ukraine, since it is very in today's topic. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you so much for extending the invitation so far and so wide and covering the most two critical segments, Russians and Ukrainians. Uh, but let's get into the story now. Uh, my first issue is, Jill, uh, what is the status right now? Well, how far have the Russians been able to uh, really capture territory or dominate territory, control territory in Ukraine. All right. Russia invaded Ukraine on 24th of February 2022. It's a war which generally everybody accepts could have been avoided if all the nations, especially the leaders, had mature geopolitical strategic stance and had not resorted to brinkmanship. Uh, I will now very quickly come on to the status as on today. As all of you know, that the military aim of Russia under Putin was basically the quick capitulation and capture of Kyiv, which would result in the capitulation of Ukraine. To achieve this aim, he launched a multi-pronged attack in the north for the quick capture of Kyiv, in the east to retain and further embolden the areas of Luhansk and Donetsk conclaves so that it acts more as a buffer. In the south, the critical area of Crimea and the sea, Black Sea, he basically launched operations to further move northwards. In all these operations, in the north in Kyiv, he had link-up operations in the area of Kharkiv and in the area of Donetsk and Luhansk to link up with Kherson. Also, I would like to point out that his aim was also to extend further westwards on the south to the area of Odessa, resulting in the cutting off the sea from Ukraine as also resulting in the NATO not being able to approach Ukraine from the sea, which has great geopolitical and strategic importance. As of now, he's almost knocking on the corridors of Kyiv. The long convoy has been, has actually, the operations have gone a little slow, no doubt, but I would say that it is going as per plan and is well within the capabilities of Russian troops. The, basically, the 41st Army Group under 40 infantry battalions, approximately 1,20,000 troops are involved in this operation. Apart from all the other combat arms and services like the mechanized forces, attack helicopters, artillery, long-range missiles, etc., except for the Russian Air Force. The Russian Air Force is glaringly and negligibly being used. The main reasons, I feel, are basically that he does not want to increase the collateral damage has also caused intra-infrastructural damage onto the civilian casualties. 
And also, I also feel that because of the large number of air defense weapons, both long range as also the shoulder fired infantry held weapons are absolutely been used very, very effectively by the Ukrainian troops. The progress of operations is also slow for two main reasons. They have been very, very uh, unpleasantly surprised with the resolve, determination and the morale of the Russian forces, along with a lot of civilians who have also joined the ranks and under their command. Apart from that, you all know that this month, the thaw has already commenced. The area around is very, very marshy. And most of the movement, especially for Russian troops who do not know the terrain so intrinsically, like the Ukrainians, are roadbound. This is resulting in a lot of ambushes, in a lot of actions, especially on the logistics. So the logistics has taken a big hit, which is also contributing towards the slow operations. But I am fairly, I feel that uh, this is, will be well taken in its stride. I'm also aware of the very, very heavy sanctions which have been laid out on Russia by the entire world, led by USA and the NATO and the West, including the economic sanctions. But unfortunately for the Ukrainian people, these sanctions will not impact the operations on ground and of the troops on the ground, as also the supplies on the ground. Inexorably, Kyiv will get surrounded. So will the reach towards Odessa and also the capture of the Luhansk and Donetsk campaign. As we stand today, I think in the next 48 hours to 72 hours, you should see further consolidation and capture of much more key cities, possibly Kiev, Kherson, Kharkov, as also reaching closer towards Odessa. In a nutshell, I would say that slow but steady progress in May and uh, the Ukrainian senior generals, including the President Zelensky, must be feeling the pinch as time keeps evolving and he realizes that NATO troops will not come on ground and he is on his own despite all the material armament, logistics and information help, he is fighting this battle against a much more superior, much more experienced and a much more determined enemy because for a simple reason, now for Putin, there is no backing up. He knows that his own political life and his own possibly his life is at stake until he achieves some of his strategic goals. There have been a lot of irregular forces also who have been involved. There have been Russian origin lots of who have been involved as far as the Russian effort goes. I would call this a hybrid war playing out over there. You know, the existing fractures in the Ukrainian society are also being fueled by the Russians. Russian origin people and Ukrainian people. They're trying to increase the gap between the two of them. We expected a fuller use of cyber warfare, which has not happened. Information operations have dominated. Can I have your comments on especially the cyber and the information aspects? Uh, firstly, I would like to say that the vertical, non-kinetic vertical of cyber and warfare, as also information warfare, especially through social media, has become one of the strongest verticals. In many of the operations, the military cannot achieve what this can achieve. You can see that even all of us who are watching this war, except for the visuals of destruction and despair, one basically is being bombarded by the social media. And this has been effectively used, especially by the West and Ukraine, much more than Russia, because Russian access to international uh, eyes and international ears are much less. And uh, I would say that it is playing a strategic role as far as this war is concerned. We will see most of it is also a lot of fake news, but which is impacting the very psyche of the world, which in turn today will impact the 
leaders like Putin, Zelensky and others to actually hasten or prolong the war. Which way it will go, one cannot say. But I would at this time also strongly recommend there is a book called Like War, Weaponization of Social Media by Mr. Singer, which is a must read for all people who want to know the importance of information warfare in today's war. Quite to your point, Daniel. In fact, uh, Zelensky has been able to keep in touch with his people also through the medium of uh, this internet or uh, broadcast facilities that are still available over there. And it's surprising that we haven't seen the use of cyber warfare far too much over here, nor has it been so effective perhaps. Anyway, those are perhaps the limitations within which the Russians are working. Now, my next question to you is, as the Russians go deeper into Ukraine, like you yourself said that you expect uh, the Russians to be, well, going in for Kiev now, perhaps uh, the next bigger objective after they consolidate along the coastline and the eastern borders of Ukraine. Now, uh, do you think the Russians walking into an insurgency trap, should they go into Kiev? It's a huge urban center. I would put it this way, that I'm sure Putin, with his experience in Afghanistan, in Syria and other countries, is fully aware of the potential of insurgency within Ukraine, especially when it is fed both in terms of information, material, logistics, and most importantly, very key technological armaments, very, very, very small, carryable, transportable weaponry, which are very highly effective and useful in insurgency. And that too, let me call it, urban insurgency is the worst of all. Even the most potent nation with the best soldiers and the best special forces will find it incredibly difficult to counter insurgency in the urban area because it will be involving door-to-door -door and street-to-street -street fighting and will have a colossal amount of casualties on both sides. As all of you are aware, especially the listeners, always look, Russia has considered Ukraine a part of Russia. In fact, from 16th century, it was always been a part of Russia except for the last century or so. And so, this is no way to keep this as a buffer state. He would not like to prolong the war. And so I feel that while he's aware of this, his main aim will be to quickly close this, reach an agreement, at least the two basic agreements of his, that a guarantee and a guaranteed agreement that Ukraine will not form a part of NATO. And secondly, there will be no weapons, troops, armaments deployed, not only in, in Ukraine, but also into the last five, six countries which are in the inner, you can say, landmass surrounding Russia. So I feel he would like to very quickly achieve his terminal objectives in the land. He has already announced that he's not interested in conquering Ukraine, but to reach these main political, geopolitical and military objectives. Right, General Right. Uh, let's go a little further. NATO and, you know, EU, they seem to have got a boost for uniting closer. And they seem to have come together, cemented more firmly because of this particular war. And if you see the French, well, they took a very leading position, their dialogue with uh, the Russians. And if you look at the Germans, they have had a sea change in their approach to security. I think after the Second World War, this is the biggest change that one sees. And the USA perhaps benefits a little bit out of all this equation. What do you have to say in your comments? Brigadier Chatterjee, actually, you have summed it up brilliantly. I've totally endorsed whatever you have said. NATO had actually become irrelevant since the collapse of the erstwhile Soviet Union. It has been agreed to by all. In fact, the existence of NATO was questioned. Now, NATO has got resurrected. It will get stronger. 
all the states are rearming themselves they are putting more money into the basket to become stronger and so as a package nato will become much more powerful they have also got now a common enemy russia whom they will now keep up their sleeve for many many years to come despite whatever agreement is reached and become as an entity nato will become much more powerful to look after the european land mass and so you can imagine what the united states has been wanting to do has been achieved by this move some people actually suspect and many people in especially the russians feel that the united states actually wanted this war at any cost so that he can now focus and strengthen nato provide his umbrella support including the nuclear support but at the same time now his focus will now wholly be in the indo pacific and against china we will be able to focus and he now is in a very strong position united states right what do you think should be the indian course of action india is a very powerful country today we don't realize that india is within the top 5 countries militarily and the world's sixth largest economy in purchasing power capability and nominal gdp so our geopolitical and strategic options and start should reflect our rising international status we need not any longer be apologetic or worried about our national interests so we our stance has been extremely balanced based on our national interest which is the sovereignty and the integrity of our nation and our citizens there were 20000 students to be safely brought out apart from that we have a very strong deep historic link with russia which has always stood by us we are friends with ukraine i would say india today and i have been always maintaining right from the last 6 months since actually november of 2009 20 when uh, russia has been amassing troops that india is a balancing power and is uniquely positioned especially when in this crisis situation and brinkmanship to talk to both the partners and come out to an amicable agreement uh, everybody looks to india despite whatever usa and russia may feel about us being maintaining strategic autonomy it suits them also that india uses its good offices and status to talk, make all the actors involved talk to each other and bring some amount of right. even if it is bring about a ceasefire for the moment and a basic agreement Right, thank you, General. I think that was a uh, very well explained the whole story with very simple language and well straightforward method. Thank you so much for joining Bharat Shakti Dot In, and thanks, listeners. Thanks for logging on to Bharat Shakti Dot In, and do keep logging on like this now and then, and you will find such interesting stories.